GoLongTD.com, humanizing pro football journalism. What's up, everyone? This is Favre with the one and only Brett Favre. Brett, it's good to see you, man. Uh, what, what's happening in your world? Well, still haven't had rain. The last time it rained here was July 17th, which is totally unusual for this this region. I mean, th- an afternoon thunder shower is more common, like every other afternoon, not July 17th, and it's been hot and dry. One good thing about it is the humidity's been low. I I don't want to sound like a weather person, and I always say this, but uh, so if I do, forgive me. But El Nino or Nina, whatever, (laughs) has been pushing. uh, You know, it's like a straight shot from California bringing in dry air, but it's keeping all the storms away. If there's any benefit to it, if there was ever a time that we would have gotten a hurricane, it would have been this summer. Um, Hurricane season's not over, but the the, uh, Gulf of Mexico has been super hot. We've had temperatures at 109, 110. Humidity has been typically 75% humidity or higher is normal. Uh, more like 85, 90. So typical summer day here could be 95 or could be 88 with the humidity, 85, 90%. That's, that's probably the standard. It's been 105, 108 with humidity at 60%. So it's felt okay. Uh, but we need rain bad, man. I, uh, I spend like when I'll, when we're done with this show, I'll go. I got a big water tank that I just connect to my truck and I ride around and water stuff that's dying. And it, I mean, I can do it all day and all night. I chuckle. You say El Nino, and I just think of Chris Farley in the SNL days when he's, he's the human El Nino. But <laughs> I miss that guy, man. Oh, man. That was, yeah, that was right in your heyday, you know? He like, loved the Packers, too. You know, he he's did. from Madison. Did you know Chris Farley? Did you guys have a yeah. relationship? Yeah. Really? Uh, we never partied together, thank goodness. But we we actually were on, I think it was Leno together. And uh, I mean, this was way, 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 way back. Um, but yeah, I knew him. He was, he was as funny in person as he is on, on camera. There's just, you know, there's such a, a short list of people you you really get pissed that they died as young as they did. You know, Chris Farley, even Tupac, uh, Jim Croce, the album right behind me. You know, what, yeah. the, the talent that these people had and they could have given the world for the next five, six, seven decades. It's, uh, man, it's sad. Yeah, it is. I agree. So I just got back from Atlanta, Brett. Some would say it's, uh, the house that Brett Favre built. Well, actually, it was a different stadium. But uh, but yeah, that was your old stomping grounds, nineteen ninety one. Do you look back at, fondly at that year, or is it like a, a dark time with Jerry Glanville that you'd like to forget? Oh, you know, I, I do look back fondly. I didn't play; that sucked. But I honestly, I wasn't ready. I didn't deserve to play. Uh, what would I have done had I gone gone in in a in a important 
situation. I played maybe five plays. It was, we were in the playoffs. We were down by like 50 and I went in. It didn't matter. So I never really got a chance to, to play when it mattered. It, probably a good thing. Um, I thought I was ready. Um, but I, I don't believe I was. But the, you know, the great thing about Atlanta, I have to always be grateful for Atlanta because without Atlanta, I would have not made it to Green Bay. Uh, strange how things work out, but, um, met some, some great teammates. Uh, Dion was, was one of those and we've maintained a great relationship throughout. Uh, it was a year that we, the, the Falcons, I don't know how long it had been, if, if they had ever made the playoffs before 91. Uh, I'm sure they did, but it was a playoff year. Chris Miller, the starting quarterback, had an amazing year. Just couldn't miss. Michael Haynes was a tremendous receiver. Andre Risen had 130 catches. Uh, it, it was, it was fun. We were too legit to quit. I don't know if you remember those. MC Hammer, one of his main songs, maybe his best song was Too Legit to Quit. And he was, he was at like every game, hanging out on the sidelines. It was, it was wild. It was the wild, wild west at his best. That's amazing. Yeah. I was four years old, so I wasn't really into MC Hammer quite, quite yet, but I've seen the, uh, the documentary and watched the clips and read as much as I can. What a, what a fun freaking team. How did you and Deion Sanders hit it off? And you said you guys no. maintain a relationship. I mean, holy, his world well, I, played against him. I played against him twice in college. He picked me off once for pick six. Uh, we joked about that initially. I mean, he knew who I was. But for whatever reason, and I, if Dion were on this with us right now, uh, he could, he could probably answer this, but uh, for whatever reason, he took me under his wing. I don't know why I didn't, I didn't. I didn't do anything to garner that, but he was, you know, he was obviously the, the most popular invisible player and star on the team. He also was playing with the Braves at the time. So, I mean, this sounds crazy, but Suwannee, Georgia was where we practiced. And there was a hotel right there. And right behind the hotel was a facility that, uh, we dressed in and met in. And then right behind it was a practice field. And at the end of practice, a helicopter would land on the practice field. He would jump in and he would be playing baseball before I got home. Because uh, it was about, without traffic, 45-minute drive down to Fulton County Stadium. With traffic, it could be forever. So they would helicopter him in. And, uh, but he... He took me under his wing right away and uh, was always nice to me. Was always, uh, I mean, we were cracking jokes and, and we just maintained a friendship throughout. Uh, he took me to shop. He took me shopping because I would, I wear the same clothes every day. I still do. And, uh, he was like, you know, he was prime time, obviously. Andre was showtime and he said, you're going to be country time. <laughs> so he, he still to this day, he calls me country. He's like, so one day we were in the locker room and he said, country, I'm going to take you shopping. So he said, I don't know if we, 
couple of days later when we had an off some some off time, he said, I want you to meet me at such and such downtown. I met him. He bought me all kinds of clothes. I mean, sharp clothes. And he's, I'll never forget these blue, like suede, not tennis shoes, but not loafers. It was kind of in between. Uh, and I probably pronounced it wrong, but Elese, E-L-L-E-S-S-E, I think is what it was. That's the only clothes I wore the whole time was those shoes. I love the shoes, blue suede shoes. But I never wore He's like, country, when you, when you going to wear like the suit? I'm like, Dion, I'm not a suit guy. But he bought me all this stuff. And, did you return uh, it? Like, did you did you bring it back, or is it did you? No, I kept it. it. No, I I, I definitely definitely didn't want to offend him. Uh, but he he's busted my balls off for what thirty years about that. Uh, the only thing he wore was the shoes I bought. But we we've maintained a great relationship throughout. Yeah, I remember. I remember you saying in your Packer days, like if I could wear a t-shirt and jeans every day, I would. That's ex- exactly how I feel, right? I, you know, I, I always get mad when I, you know, just because just because there's a stain on the shirt doesn't mean we have to throw it away, hon. Like we 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 can keep it. You know, my wife will just toss it. Hey, let's let's hang on to that. It serves its function. Yeah, if, if it if it feels good and you feel like it looks good, regardless of what everybody else thinks, you like it. You, and men are kind of that way, and for the most part. But yeah, uh, I cringed with all the head coaches. I I. I was hoping and praying that not, none of my head coaches would make us wear a suit and tie because that would be, I would feel so uncomfortable. And, and fortunately, none, it was optional. Dress nice, but if you want to wear a suit and tie, it's, it's optional. So I was like, yes. <laughs> well, I, we're going to get into, uh, those Atlanta days a little bit more, uh, here, here on the show. Again, this is Barb. Raw, unfiltered, unvarnished football talk uh, with, with the man who, who who played the way I think everybody in America dreams of playing the sport. Uh, we're bringing this to you every other week as much as Brett's uh, bandwidth allows. No ads, no sponsors, no VC money, just uh, myself and Brett bullshitting, talking football, talking life, nothing off limits. And our founding members are going to be able to hop on the end of these calls and ask Brett questions. And and also, I mentioned this to you before we hit record, Brett. I was in Atlanta, and T- Taylor Heideke is in there. He's a backup quarterback. He wears number four for you, idolized you in every conceivable way. I mean, he lit right up when I mentioned this show. And I, I got to think there's a lot of Taylor Heineke's out there, coast to coast. So uh, th- this has been a lot of fun. This is episode number two. Yeah, that feels that? good when I hear that. Uh, that you know, I grew up idolizing or emulating. Uh, I wanted to play like you. Uh, anytime I hear that, uh, I, I don't know if there's a, a better thing that can be said about me uh, than than something like that. And he's scrappy. I, I like him. I, I love having him on my team. We'll have to get him on the show then at some point. We're uh, yeah, definitely we... going to welcome on some some guests. Ron Wolf is in. He'll be joining us. Uh, play-by-play man Wayne Larrabee at some point. We'll, we'll have some fun with this show. Yeah. Well, good. I'm looking forward to it. 
we did this on on the first episode too, Brett. Just kind of connecting your past with the present, and that way we can kind of relive some old stories yet follow the NFL today and watching some of these quarterbacks. Maybe it was Josh Allen, like seeing him Monday night running all over the place, trying to run through people over people. That's that's Josh's game. It, it kind of popped in my mind, man. I, I wonder if. Uh, Brett has any thoughts on, on Josh's game and, and really any young quarterbacks today, because there are so many guys at that point of their career where they're, they're ascending. They're, they're on the cusp of a Super Bowl of MVPs. They're right there, just, just like you were early in your career. And, you know, what does it take to kind of get over that hump? But when, when you watch Josh, do, do you see part of yourself in Josh Allen? Absolutely. I do. Uh, big arm, mobile. Now he's he's a much bigger quarterback uh, than than really any we've ever seen. And he's not the tallest, but just overall athletic ability, size, uh, arm strength, uh, playmaking ability. He has it all. The downside of that, a lot of times, and we you don't see many players like that. Uh, the downside of that is you feel like there's nothing you can't do. And that gets you in trouble at times. Happened to me. It's happened to Josh Allen. It happened in the first game. Had he just managed the game a little bit better, they would have won. Uh, especially when Aaron went out, it's a different ball game. Now, I can say all this in hindsight because I learned it over the years. He knows what he's capable of. He knows that he probably lived for a better day sometimes. But that, you know, what makes him so special is the blessing and the curse. Like, and I'll give you a good example. So Ty Detmer and I, really close friends, we were teammates for, for several years. He was my backup and hunting buddy, and we, we did a lot of stuff together. Well, I threw, I threw a ball, I don't know if it was practice or in a game, and we were watching film after. And it was like through three guys – like a, we called it a dagger. It was like 20, 25 yard crossing route. And I threw it and just smoked it in there. Never should have thrown that ball, but I did. And Ty was like, I don't, why on earth would you think you can make that throw? And I said, well, cause I can. And I said, you wouldn't make that throw. And he's like, hell no. I know my limitations, which is, which is true. You know, a quarterback that, that doesn't have that ability knows, like, Ty knew that this guy's open, but I can't make that throw because the window's going to close too quickly. So I'm going to check it down. He, he knew his limitations and it worked for him. He had a great, great college career and he had a good pro career. So when you sign a guy like Josh Allen, you, you, you take, Take the good with the bad and hope that over time he eliminates the, you not, not completely because you, you want him to do what he does best. You just want him to be smart at, at certain times. And I think Joshua, as he matures, he, he will do that. Uh, but I definitely see myself in him. Mahomes is another, but he's not on the cusp. He's already past that. You know, he's won, won, uh, a couple of Super Bowls. Uh, lost another one. Uh, 
knows when to say when. Now, his mobility is good, but it's not like Josh. Josh can really hurt you with his legs and his rushing ability. And um, Patrick probably could run for more yards, but he uses it more to buy time to, to make a play with his arm. So similar, but not, not exact. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a young quarterback's league today. These guys, when they come out of college, they're ready to play right away. And you're seeing that happen more and more. Uh, so the, the days of the Marino and the Elway and the Moon and Jim Kelly all in the same, uh, at the same time playing in the latter part of their career, I think those days are over. You know, my, my fear for Josh Allen at times is he doesn't have Brian Dable in his ear because Dable to Josh Allen in so many ways seemed like Mike Holmgren to you, a coach who knows what buttons to push and when, how to kind of harness um, the, these insane physical attributes that you have without, you know, slamming the brakes t- t- too much. Because I, even over the course of this offseason, we hear from the head coach in Buffalo, the GM, it was such a talking point for the Bills. Josh Allen needs to slide. He needs to get out of bounds. And th- the spirit of that is probably in the right place. But part of me is like, why are you even injecting these thoughts into his head? Because when Josh Allen is being Josh Allen, he's special. He is something different. So how how do you kind of, you know, keep, keep yourself stay true to yourself as a quarterback. And, and, you know, you had the strongest arm in NFL history, arguably, while still finding that balance with the coaching within the design. Yeah, of the I think, play. I think it's it, not easy. The most important. I think the most important element to my success, especially early on. And I think this is how you can, you can manage Josh Allen or a player similar to him by what type of plays you call. So Mike Homer, a good example. My first year, I came in and replaced and injured Don Mikowski. And Mike called plays, I think, early on based on his 49er career. So he was calling plays that that worked with Steve Young and Joe Montana. I mean, he was fresh off of uh, the 49ers when we, when we signed Mike Homer. So he called plays that Steve ran. Now, not necessarily left-handed, but like dual-sided plays, like 24-25 double square out is the same route on both sides, whether you're Joe Montana or Steve Young. But the plays that they ran well doesn't mean that I'm going to run them well or read them well. But you don't know that until you you call the plays. And so I remember Holmgren and I, because I I one week would be great. Next week would, wouldn't be so great. And the next week would be really good. The next week would be okay. And when he started calling plays that catered more to my strengths and eliminated the plays that were plays that maybe I struggled with where I had to read too much. Because when I, when I first joined the Packers, I didn't learn a whole lot with Atlanta and, and offensively, it was run and shoot. It was kind of a, a, a fad, a short fad. Um, I was very um, down the totem pole 
in regards to the 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 coverages and protections and how you make calls line wise, sliding to the left, sliding to the right, basing up, uh understanding blitzes, all that stuff was even though I started four years in college, I was we ran an eye formation, we ran a tall sweep or we ran option away. That was our offense. And then we would we would sprint out and pass a lot. So I was always on the move. And that was what I you know in high school, same thing. One or two passes a game at, at best, but I, it was not uncommon for me to rush for eighty or hundred yards because we ran an option. So I was behind. Two, one or two that was that low from your dad. Yeah, that was it. We ran the wishbone. So, so I had to. I was as I was playing, I was having to learn protections and, and coverages and combo coverages and and why. They do things on a certain down and distance that, that the next team doesn't. You know, learn, learn, learning basically the basics while you're playing is difficult. So, how do you how do you answer that? Holmgren called plays that maybe it was a fake a lead left and roll out to the right and have a high low corner flat route. Uh, I could, that was my wheelhouse, and then we called some drop back stuff, but it was more. All right, 24 double go. You got Z on the right, X on the left. Both of them are running go routes. The tight end has, if it's cover two, he splits the middle. If it's, if it's a single safety, he runs a 10 yard cross. So if, if you get single safety and you like to look, take a shot at one of your outside guys. If you don't like it, come down to the tight end or a check down. It's going to be right in front of you. That, that was easy because you look out there and you go, I like, like the coverage. I like the matchup. Take a shot. But when it got complicated, then I would, I would play like it was complicated. So I think the offense coordinator can, can be very instrumental just by the plays that are, that are called. Uh, you know, a play that I'm going to try to keep alive and, and not live for another day. You scrap it until later down the road. Maybe it's a good play, but maybe I don't run it as well. So calling plays with Josh, no one that he uses his feet. I would I would call more movement plays, get him on the move. And now that being said, he's been super prolific. But it's it's the game the games like he played against the Jets that make you scratch your head. But he's a hell of a player. Your turning point really, we touched on it, I believe in the in the first episode, but six games into nineteen ninety four is when the Packers had that staff meeting, right? And more than half of the coaches voted to bench you for Mark Brunell. And, and Mike Holmgren sticks with you. And he, he basically said, Hey, we're either going to go to the top of the mountain together or we're going to wind up in the dumpster outside together, but we're going to do it together. And and that that kind of leads into you know, there's all the X's and O's that you're getting into and, and finding that balance with the coach and knowing when to take a chance. Um, but I, I think also that that's kind of when you maybe, maybe you didn't completely stop the drinking and partying off the field, but it started going down, right? I mean, you, you started taking it a little bit more serious. You were a maniac on the, on the cardio equipment. Uh, and yeah, you just took yeah, it to a different level. You win your three MVPs. Yeah. Unfortunately, even though my, my pro career was taken off. That's when the pain pills started 
In fact, it was a, the game against Philadelphia in in Milwaukee. Reggie White was on the Eagles side, and he separated my shoulder, my left shoulder, really bad right before a half. Got it injected at half, felt great. After the game, it felt terrible when the numbness wore off and I was given pain pills. And it, it worked, but it felt good. I kind of liked the feeling. So that kick-started the pain pill. And then 96 is when I went to rehab and, and, uh, in the summer and came out the day before training camp. And then I was really, I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof then. Uh, no, no more pain pills. Now I, I, I continued drinking until 98, but, uh, but yeah, that meeting, I knew about the meeting because Mariucci shouldn't have told me, but he did tell me. Uh, and he's like, look, I love you. I love watching you play. I love your enthusiasm, but you got to start doing things differently. You got to make smarter decisions. And that really was, uh, a pivotal point in my career. So you weren't supposed to know about this meeting and you, no. you knew my career's on the line right now. Mooch pretty much told me everything and he, and, but he, he didn't sugarcoat it. And uh, he just said, Hey, this is the way it is. You keep playing erratic and you're You're going to be pulled. And I, I hate it, but, but that's the case. Man, how, Gosh, you think of quarterbacks today and maybe it's, maybe Tom Brady has kind of broken our brains on it because he's, you know, taking, eating the avocado ice cream and he's got nutritionists and, um, mental coaches. A lot of these guys, they, they've got like a specialist for every singular aspect of athletic performance. Um, it's, and you know, you're, you're pouring millions of dollars to, to, to maximize this opportunity. And I imagine most of your money was not spent toward nutritionists and, Life coaches, maybe, maybe it was, you know, for, for some Miller Light there in the, in the great state of Wisconsin. How, how would the hell did you, did your rise to become a three time MVP, winning a Super Bowl, right? Through the, the painkiller addiction, overcoming that, like, how did you really ascend in the mid nineties when off the field you're drinking, partying, living, living it up? I mean, it, you would never see that today. I think you're going to see more Johnny Manziel's where they just are chewed up and spat out and you don't hear from them again. Yeah. Well, I, I could have easily been a Johnny Manziel without, I mean, he had like enormous expectations just based on what he did in, in college. I, I wasn't, and this was Johnny Manziel was in the social media age and instantaneous news. Uh, so everyone knew about Johnny Manziel, knew about everything about him. He was a big part of here, but he was a hell of a player. That wasn't the case for me. And that's not the reason or uh, that I was or wasn't successful. I, I think it's by the grace of God that I, I withstood all those things that I, I withstood and overcame. Uh, a lot of it was self-induced. Uh, so had I failed, I would have no one to blame but myself. Uh, the reason I was traded, I think a couple of reasons I was traded. I think Atlanta felt confident after Chris Miller had a wonderful year that he would be their starter for quite some time. There was no reason to think otherwise. So right out of 
Atlanta. I, I solely believe that they saw no upside. I mean, the guy's got tremendous talent, but he stays in the bar room all night and he's fighting and he's it just. And then Ron Wolf calls and they're like, whoa, you want to trade what? A first round pick for, and they probably didn't say for a partier. I'm sure they talked me up. Oh, this kid's got great upside, you know, uh, love the kid. And maybe that was something they said, but they didn't tell all the bad because I was drafted in the second round, but I was traded for a first round pick. And the only thing I did to deserve that was party. Which so wait, that, that year in Atlanta, how, how many bar fights we talking, Brett? What, what does it look like that that year? I don't know, three, four, five, something like that. Yeah, just locals, uh, just random guys. Like what? What? What started them? Sometimes it was teammates that were trying to shave my head, and we start wrestling on the on the floor and get get broken up and. Couple other times, there's people I didn't know. You know, uh, I would put myself in harm's way, way too often, and and to to have the career that I had after the rocky start on and off the field, nothing short of amazing. Wouldn't recommend taking that path to anyone. That's why I'm so blown away by it, right? The fact that you ascend through that all. I mean, plus that first year in Atlanta, you're probably thinking, I'm not going to play. I might as well just have some fun, right? Oh, I I definitely said that. Uh, I knew right away I wasn't going to play. And then as each week progressed, Chris Miller got better and better. We were winning games, and I knew I wasn't going to play. Not to mention Billy Joe Tolliver was brought in as a second quarterback. He and I were – I mean, we were, we were joined at the hip. We, we were best buddies and, uh, I learned a lot from him, but I knew third string, the odds of me getting in are slim or none. Gosh. So you really, you really gave up drinking in 98, you said? Yes. Yeah. Wow. What went into that? What's that? Uh, so so why? I mean, what what went into it? Did it? Did you just realize that you took well, it too far? Or, I didn't know how to. I was not a sensible drinker. I, you know, I I told my two daughters when I quit drinking that I said I hope that you make the decision to not drink. And I said I'm not saying that there, that there's anything wrong with it, but you never know if you got that addictive personality, and. um so why start it? There's no reason to start drinking and run the risk of that uh, ever happening. Now, I think both ha- will have a beer or a glass of wine, but thankfully they, they never fell, you know, in, into the same path that I had. I, when I drank, if you said, Brett, let's have a beer after a round of golf. Well, I would either say to myself, yeah, I'll take him up on it, which meant that I was going to drink until I couldn't drink no more. One beer for me and go home made absolutely no sense. I'd rather have a Coke or something like that. So I didn't know. I, I When I drank, 
I drank until I couldn't drink no more. And that may be a three day or four day, could be a one day. Uh, but once I started, I, I wouldn't quit until I passed out or whatever. How did you perform? Even in a practice, maybe there were some games mixed in there, hung over. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to go hard anymore at, at 36 years old. Cause I just know, uh, it's going to be hard enough, you know, changing some diapers and functioning in normal yeah. adult life if I do go that hard. But how, how were you a pro football player going as hard as you did then? Well, I was as diligent as a player and a, and a, preparation standpoint as I was diligent as a partier. So if I, like in off season, if I slept, went to sleep at four o'clock, I would be up at seven thirty or eight running or lifting or throwing. Now, could I do that now? Hell no, I couldn't. So there's a lot to, a lot to be said for youth. Again, I would not recommend this to anyone, but I, I mean, I stayed after and watched extra film. I, I, I would do extra work after practice, throw, throwing passes that I maybe I struggle with. I was, I was diligent again in my preparation and study habits and workouts as I was, thankfully, as I was, because it, it would have been easy to sl- sleep in and say, I'll just do it tomorrow. I, thankfully, I was never one of those. It's crazy. It just reminds me of Rob Gronkowski. When, when I talked to him uh, for my tight ends book, obviously he's a, a party animal. Like to, yeah. to, to, to this stratosphere that we're talking here, he admitted like there was a point later in his career where he realized like if I keep this pace, my body's going to break down. He felt his body starting to break down. And and granted, there was a time there. He, he knew that the party and kind of helped him because he's also dancing his ass off, you know, on the on the Gronk cruises and, and what have you with Waka Flocka Flame, drinking vodka waters, so he's staying hydrated. Uh, but he realized, okay, I gotta, I gotta turn this, t- turn the notch down a little bit and was able to continue his career. Maybe he's the best tight end ever. And I mean, we're probably not sitting here talking about your career in the terms we are 321 straight starts if you don't have that epiphany in, in 98, right? Yeah, there's no question. The longevity doing what I was doing is short-lived. Uh, I mean, I, I played with a bunch of guys as I was partying and after I partied that I saw shorten their careers by their partying and, and not taking care of their bodies. And, uh, and I saw guys that, that had a long career that did just the opposite, that took care of their bodies. Uh, maybe they partied like I did, you know, but stopped and was able because you, you, you party hard. You're lucky to make it to 30 years. Uh, you know, which would be about seven to 10 years in the league. Very rarely does someone do it all the way through their career in 15 or so years and have a long, successful career. Very rarely. Was that right around the time? Gosh, 99 was uh, a wild season, obviously. I mean, the thumb, I believe, 
but the, the comebacks yeah. early that season, Oakland, Tampa, Minnesota, just surreal comebacks, the way you guys were winning, uh, first-year post home grid. You, you were really emotional, I believe. Was it after the Oakland game uh, at the yeah. press conference? Uh, boy, was that related to anything in, in your, your personal life? I mean, you're kind of going through this transformation around then. Yeah, I – I don't think so. It's been a long time. I, I, I remember the press conference. I remember the game. And, uh, you know, there was, Mike had left. I hated it. I knew, I knew that we would never be the same because we had a good thing going. I understood why he left. I loved him, loved him dearly. Why? Well, I, I mean, he was a tough coach, but I loved him. I, I was, I was always coachable. Uh, it doesn't mean I had success week in, week out, but I enjoyed being coached by him, even though it was tough. And, and Ray Rhodes, I, I knew Ray very well. He was our defense coordinator. Uh, I like Ray, but I just knew that things would never be the same. And then I get, I hurt my thumb. What I ended up breaking it later in my career, but I had a, like a, sprained ligament on the inside of my thumb, which probably of the two, broken thumb, sprained ligament, the sprained ligament was more painful and harder to deal with. Um, and the fact that we won, I think, three or four of our first four or five games on the last play. That was great, but you can't, you can't expect to do that week in and week out. I mean, if the season would have ended right there, would have been a miraculous season the way we had finished those games. But it, it's draining to win games like that, having to win on the last drive, knowing you have to go down. And I mean, the odds are definitely against you in situations like that. And we were successful in all those. And, and playing with an injury, new coach, new regime. I think it all just kind of came to a head after that game. Yeah. I can remember, uh, later that, that season. So, you know, I, here in Western New York, I grew up a, a Brett Favre fan, Packers fan, like we, like we mentioned. I think that was one of the first games I went to the first with, with my dad. We, we, we would take that pilgrimage to Lambeau, best father son memories that I'll, I'll cherish till the day I die. You guys played Detroit that year. Corey Bradford had that crazy one-handed catch in the end zone. I think we were sitting by Keith McKenzie's mom, first row behind your bench. But you know what I remember from that game is the the throat slash you you were giving back to one of their guys, right? And they they outlawed yeah. it after that. I mean, I think I think a good taunt should be rewarded in pro football, right? If it's timely and if it's creative, and in that case, very descriptive, right? You're, you're well, I, I can say this. My whole career, I never started anything. I, you know, I never would go up to the line before the, at the first play of the game and tell Warren Sapp, we're going to kick your butt today, Warren. I would never do that. I knew better. Uh, but I would retaliate. And so the play you're talking about, and I remember the guy. Great play. No, it was Robert Bailey. He was a nickel guy. And I remember him only because of that situation. Several weeks before we played Detroit in Detroit, he picked me off on the last play of the game. 
uh, we we had a sh- shot to win. I think we were driving and threw a pick, and he he picked it. Game's over. He comes running running right up to me and gets right in my face and goes. And I said to him, I mean, there wasn't much I could say other than I'll see you in a couple of weeks. So it, it was my mission to get his ass back. And, and I did. I was throwing at him every chance I could. And then I, I, you know, after a touchdown or a good player, I can't remember what, I went up to him and I said, remember this? And that, that, that was, that's the only reason I did it, uh, in retaliation to him. And yeah, they did. They, they made that a, a rule that no throat slashing at, at all. Well, it's a good thing they made it a rule because you clearly would have just drawn a sword out and actually slashed his throat. So that, you know, the NFL really had to kind of sort that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Larry Bird stuff, though. I love it. So you went after him, though. Like you knew oh, yeah. into that game, I'm going right after Robert Bailey. Definitely. Definitely. I went right after him every chance I had. And I, and it was, and we got, we got him too. I just, I, you know, I wasn't going to let him live it down. Amazing. And it was a year before Coy Detmer. You guys beat Philly and he was giving you this motion, right? After he had threw a touchdown and you guys beat him late and you, yeah. you turned right to the Eagles sideline and did it back. <laughs> Ty's Boy, brother. A, Ty's brother. Yeah. yeah. I love his enthusiasm. He was fun to watch. I didn't particularly like that, but you know, it was one of those things. Either we stop him or we're going to see it more. <laughs> hey, well, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll jump back into your rise, but just f- football today, games today. I know you saw some Jordan Love. Uh, you know, they yep. beat Chicago, obliterate Chicago, and then they're without their left tackle, David Bakhtiari, without Aaron Jones, their best player. Christian Watson, your first receiver. You lose out in Jenkins early in the game. And yet he had the Packers ahead by 12 points in the fourth quarter. Six touchdowns, no picks through two games. But what does Brett Favre see in Jordan Love so far? Man, I, I'm, I'm very impressed with him. Um, I think he's handled himself well, considering the circumstances taking over for Aaron. A lot of eyes on him. Uh, it'd be easy to, to lay an egg early. Um, understandably so, just because the expectations of us. I, I don't even know if they're fair, uh, what people expect from him or, or want from him. And uh, I, I think after these two games, I don't know if he could have played any better or handled it. I'm sure, it, you know, if I broke down film with him, he would say, I needed to do this better. But he he, he won the first game or was, the, you know, was – instrumental in the win and very easily you could say he kept them in the game against Atlanta uh, in the face of tremendous adversity uh, and they're, they're really a young team and I, the way they've responded uh, it, jury's out on the if Atlanta's as good as their 2-0 record uh, but they're 2-0 and at their at their place I thought uh, which can be a hostile environment, especially them coming off of a big win the previous week is loud. Uh, the expectation level for the Falcons is high. So he gave him a shot to win. Uh, I think he's been very impressive. 
And the team seems to rally around him, which to me says a lot. They'll run to his aid real quickly. Uh, they like him, uh, which, which is a huge element to long-term success, having the guys want to get in the foxhole with you. And I, it looks like that, that that's the case. Because that's not the case everywhere, right? I imagine you're seeing some quarterbacks in some situations hearing things around the league where it's not it's not to that extreme. Yeah, and I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna the guys that I think that that are are not those type of guys, I'm not gonna throw them under the bus. But I think that there are some guys around the league that are good, but if something happened and they they were removed from the team, I don't think that there there's going to be too many sorrow sorrow faces around. Uh, you know, if you if you get my drift, completely. And, and I, gosh, I, I'm just thinking back to those moments for you right after Southern Southern Miss, right? I mean, you you could have died in that car accident, and yeah. you lose hell. 35 pounds. Um, I know I, I had to write it down. Everything yeah. that happened to you. 36 inches of intestines, lost 35 pounds, fracture of vertebrae in my back, had numerous cuts and lacerations all over my body, was beat to a pulp. Could have very easily ended right there. Everything we're talking very, about here, it, it, it all could have ended. So you were fishing with your brother and a couple of buddies off of the Gulf of Mexico, right, in uh, July yeah. of 90? Yeah, you know, they say a lot of accidents happen right by your house. I don't know if that's true, but I was a half a mile from my house when when I ran off the road, wasn't paying attention. My brother was actually following me in his car because I had drove down that day from college and met them, and he said it looked like I was flying. I flipped three times, and a, a tree stopped me, and I came to rest alongside this tree. Uh, so, it, yeah, it very easily could have ended badly. Like we've been talking about drinking so much. Was was alcohol involved? I mean, there's so many different stories out there from what happened that day. No, it, it was nine, 95 no. miles, so you got that close to home. Yeah, no, it was not an alcohol involved. It was not, it wasn't texting and driving because there wasn't cell phones then. Um, and it was mid, I say middle of the day. It was the summer, so it doesn't get dark till eight, eight thirty. So it was probably two, three o'clock. Um, uh, just ran off the road, uh, not paying attention and jerked. I remember jerking the car back. And I guess that's probably not the best thing to do. I jerked back and it did this. And then flipped. Um, you went. You ended up like behind the passenger seat, right, in like the back seat, and your brother had to bust open the window with a golf club to get yes. to you. Yeah, because the car was up on the side, and um, he, yeah, he had his golf clubs with him. Busted the window, pulled me out, drug me to the road, and um, I, I just remember I didn't have a shirt on. We, I was sunburned so bad. And I remember him laying me on the black asphalt, and it's 100 degrees. And I started screaming. And he's like, what is it? What is it? I said, the, the pavement. All the pain that I had was forgotten for a brief moment. And it was 
all centralized right on my back where I was just, I was hard sunburn and I was baking on this asphalt. Um, and then I remember the ambulance taking, loading me up, taking me in. And then I started asking questions. How bad am I? Will I play football again? Uh, all this stuff that was unknown at the, at the time. You were unresponsive though for a period. I, I think your brother, Scott, thought that you, you might have even been dead for a moment there. It was kind of horrible. Yeah. Obviously I don't remember that because I, I was, because I was out, but I think I, I would, it'd be fair to say that I had a severe concussion. Most definitely. The doctor treating you, I'd read, described you as like a prize fighter being knocked out. Like you didn't even remember the accident. And like we said, this is July. So football season's around the corner. Uh, Southern Miss, you guys played like a D2 team that first game. So you sat like Stephen at Boston the first game at home. And then we, the second game was at Alabama. So I had the car wreck July 14th. And August 8th, I think it was, I think it was August 8th, I had surgery. So I, I, I went into the hospital, I stayed initially down the, the coast where I, where the wreck happened. I stayed in the hospital roughly seven days. Ate very little, if, if anything. Uh, obviously lost a bunch of weight when they, they didn't know anything about the intestines at the time. They knew I was beat up. I was bruised really bad on my right side. Uh, I had a seat belt. I mean, a perfect seat belt, uh, strike right across my, in front of my body. Um, shit. Thank God you had that. And then they released me. They released me. I stayed a few days at home at my parents' house. Kind of felt better, but something wasn't right. Understandably so. You just were in a major accident. Uh, doctors cleared you. So it's going to be a long road. Then Deanna and I went to Hattiesburg, which is an hour north. She was in taking summer school classes. And, um, one day she was over at a friend's house in the study group and I started having severe pains in my stomach. Like, I don't know what it's like to have an ice pick stuck in your stomach or a knife. And just, just like needling it. That, but that, that's what it felt like to me. And I called our trainer, Doc Harrington, and I told him where I was. And I said, I think I need to go to the hospital. And he came and got me, loaded me up in his van. The hospital was two miles away, went to the hospital. Within two hours, I was having emergency surgery. Um, or, you know, basically, they stuck it. When I, when I went in the hospital, I do remember this. They stuck a tube in my nose, and it didn't want to fit, so they had to keep jamming. And I went, there was no – I had no pain medication or anything. Finally, they got it in. My nose was bleeding. That hurt horrendously. And they waited for my parents to get there before they did the operation. I then I remember them wheeling me back and they said, he needs emergency surgery right now. A good portion of his intestines has died and it, it took it, you know, several weeks for that, for that to really rear its ugly head. I was able to get a little food in and pass the intestines until 
and I wish I still had the Polaroid when he took 36 inches out. And thankfully, you got feet, feet of intestines. But he, he took a picture of like a Polaroid picture of my intestines. And it was, it looked like someone had taken a bat and beat that portion of my intestines. It was black and blue. Uh, and then he took the, the two ends, the good ends, connected it. And, uh, as you can imagine, it took me a while to want to eat. So from the time of the wreck to the time I really started having an appetite was almost a month. September 8th was when we played the, the, uh, Crimson Tide in Alabama. I don't play the first game against Stephen F. Austin. And I, I was running sprints. I, I mean, I probably poorly. I was doing things on the side. No one expected me to play. The doctor said that he won't play. Ever. Uh, what one, one said ever. One said ever. The doctor who did the surgery uh, did a wonderful job. But he said, good thing he's got a red shirt here. It, it's not wise for him to play. And all I'm hearing all this stuff. Um, a lot of it was said in front of me and our head coach, Curly Hellman. And I, the more they said it, the more I said to myself, I didn't tell anyone, I'm going to play. I was, I told myself, I'm going to play. And I just slowly but surely worked my way to where I, I was able to practice like one day that week against Alabama and was still 35 pounds lighter than when I started, uh, or before the wreck. My, my pads and, uh, pants and stuff were baggy on me. And I, the, I started the game, uh, September 8th, 35 pounds lighter. And lo and behold, we beat them. And, and now statistically speaking, had I waited and redshirted that year and came back the following year, I probably statistically speaking would have put up much better numbers. But like against Alabama, I was like, 150 yards passing. I don't remember 12 completions, 10 completions, something like that. I think I threw a couple of t- touchdowns. So it wasn't, wasn't bad, but it wasn't, it wasn't going to raise eyebrows at least. But your presence, I mean, this is what we're getting to like that moment where you just galvanize a huddle, a locker room. Guys want to fight for you, bleed for you. When, when everybody knows what you've been through, they see it. I mean, they're literally looking at you and you're 35 pounds lighter and you could have died a month, you know, a month and a half. Yeah, I think that game, that experience, yeah, that game and that experience leading up to playing is very similar in some regards to playing against Oakland after my father passed away. Uh, It was, if there was ever a, situation where as a fan you watched and go down they rallied around him big time there was no question that uh the team had my back in both those uh situations and i feel like that was the case throughout my career um didn't always play great but i i would do whatever i needed to do to help a teammate and, and you can't even begin to quantify what that does to a to a football team, right? A, a sport that is just right. played by human beings, 
I mean, we even see it today. Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he busted up his ankle just this past year and wins the Super Bowl. Uh, it, it goes a really long way. Yeah. You want to win the team by it's over. There's no question about that. But you don't, you got to do it. It's got to be authentic. Or, you know, the players will know it's not real. It, it, it's for the camera, for the print. And, and they catch on pretty quickly. But if it's authentic, you got something special. Right. So even those early Packer years – that we were talking about, there's probably so many moments, you know, not, not quite a car accident that nearly kills you, but so many moments where you're playing through something. It's real guys rally around you and things took out. Yeah, I mean, I, it's endless. The times that that's happened in my career where guys rally to, to, to your side and, and end up winning a game because of it. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you, again, it's got to be authentic. You, you don't want to fake an injury and then come back in and save the day. Right. It'd be great for that day, but the guys would be like, Oh, this guy's, a, I mean, what, what the hell? No Paul Pierce wheelchairs for Brett into the Lambo tunnel. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Well, one, one injury that you did, I mean, you suffered just about every injury that you can imagine and, and played through everything, but you never tore your Achilles. Like I got to ask you about Aaron Rodgers. Uh, gosh, all the hope, all the hype. That's all anybody's been talking about the last six, seven months. Monday night football takes the field as a New York Jets savior. And it lasted all of what four plays uh, before he tears his Achilles. Were you watching the game live, and, and what kind of? Yeah, I was watching. It? Yeah, like most. Uh, I was. I, I, I have to admit, I was completely shocked. I mean, more so because of the expectations and the buildup. Now, Aaron's managed to escape a lot of injuries and play and have a wonderful career, and I still think that he will play. Um, and he said he will play. And with the, you know, technology the way it is, you know, it's like an ACL back when, when I was playing, if you tore an ACL, you were out for a year for sure, maybe longer. Cutting edge technology has shortened that recovery time to where it's not impossible to tear it in training camp or maybe a first game and then potentially play at the latter part of the, of the season. I've even heard, and maybe Aaron said that there's he's he's looking at coming back to the playoffs if the team makes the playoffs. Uh, but getting back to the injury, I was shocked. I mean, no one could have written that script uh, the way it happened. I mean, doesn't even complete a pass, and is done for the year. So, so, uh, uh, you know, supposedly. Uh, how deflating, but I, I was really impressed and surprised that the Jets went on the win because of the situation. I thought that you, I think everyone thought now Josh Allen had a hand in, in that, uh, just by his turnovers. He kept the Jets in the game, but I really thought that they would be like, man, here, and maybe they feel that way because, you know, they lost the tough one against Dallas. But maybe they're so deflated that, and I'm sure 
uh, Robert Sala is, is saying, look, we can still win. Now they got to find out who their quarterback is and try to get some production from them because they got a really good defense, but they were going to score points with there. And you got, you had to believe that, uh, he was going to bring an element that they've missed for quite some time. Just it's really unfortunate for the Jets and Jets fans and maybe even more importantly for, for Aaron. Yeah. I'm not sure what's, um, what hurts more? What's more tormenting as a Jets fan, right? Brett, Brett Favre putting on a Jets jersey, leading you to nine, nine and three, and then you tear nine your and bicep three. and things go go south. Or Aaron Rodgers like barely playing at all. I guess it's different degrees of suffering. Yeah, I think I think both are not good. I, yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think uh, there's going to be a lot of what what ifs. Being thrown out, you know, had Aaron, what if Aaron finished the year without an injury? Where would we be? I don't know though. I mean, as we progressed, when we, when we got to nine and three, the expectation level was sky high. And I was playing not statistically speaking, it wasn't great, but it was, we were winning and I was producing and then all hell broke loose. Uh, the expectations have, have gone down, I'm sure, tremendously after the, fir- the fourth play. So it's not like they were winning, 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 winning. Uh, and again, I don't know which one's better or worse, but it is what it is. Uh, they're snake bit. I'm sure they're thinking. I, were you surprised when he so quickly said – Hey, maybe I'll play in the playoffs or that, that his career will, will continue because I think all of us watching at home are like, okay, that's, that's probably it for Aaron Rodgers. And it's not, you know, it's apples to oranges when Arthur Motes hits you there in your last year. It's, it's different. I mean, we, we talked about it back in 2014. I mean, you were out cold on that, on that surface and you, you probably knew right then, like, okay, this, this is it, but. I was surprised to Aaron. Yeah, so I think I, to... I, don't, I don't think any player wants to go out like that. I think his body of work speaks for itself, so he doesn't have to prove anything. I think he understands that. I think he realizes that, and that's not a, an issue. But I think more than anything, he's still got a, a, a tremendous amount of competitive spirit about him. And because if not, it would be easy to say, you know what, I'm too old for this. I, you know. I don't know if I have the fight to, cause the rehab will be, it will be, it'd be tough coming back from Achilles. And you got to ask yourself, I mean, I suppose he could have said, I'm retiring and not have the surgery and let it heal on its own, which he, he may walk with a limp or something. I, I don't know the medical thought on not having surgery, but. There's a lot of rehab involved, just like there is just mentally and physically. The, it's grueling to get ready for a season year in and year out and live up to the expectations, especially someone like Aaron. So it'd be easy to, to, to for me to understand, you know what? I, I'm going to just walk away. I, but Aaron's, he's not that person. He's not going to walk away like that. He, he's going to, he's going to, He's determined to finish on a high note, especially at a different place. 
had this happen the first game of the year this year, and he's a still a Packer, he probably walks away. But not with the Jets. Well, na- naturally, he'll play for the Vikings next year, though, Brett. Right? He'll, he'll work his way over there and play Green Bay twice a year. <laughs> I think he'll give the Jets another year before he does yeah. that. Right, right. That's uh, that. It just prolonged that that sequence. That's all. Yeah, exactly. You'd be a hell of a person for him to talk to. Uh, I know you've reached out to him. Uh, gosh, any effort on his side to to reach out and maybe pick your brain a little bit through this all? I'm gonna have to send him a phone that works, apparently, because I get crickets back. Hmm. I've sent numerous messages, but uh, no response. So you've reached out, offered your services, uh, knowledge, I wisdom, offered services. I've, I've uh, wisdom. You know, I sent him one the other day. Man, I hate hate to see that. Sorry about that. Hang in there. I expect you to be back and better next year. Uh, congratulate him when he signed his deal with the Jets. Uh, wished him well. Uh, but I haven't offered any services. There's not much I can offer him, but, um, it is what it is. You know, sometimes just a conversation is, a is helpful. It's a good thing. Although he did say he's a FaceTimer, right? That that's why he uh, wasn't able to communicate with the Packers earlier this offseason is the service was bad or internet, Wi-Fi, whatever the case was. And, you know, Brian Gudikins wasn't FaceTiming. I don't know. I, I lost track of the storyline. I, I, I don't know about that. I, yeah. That's in one ear and out the other, I guess. I, well, you're here to say that you're, to, you're, you're ready to call. You're ready to talk. So if Aaron's listening or watching, there it is. Which he probably isn't. I don't think he's a go long subscriber, but you know, we can, uh, we can hook him up. Yeah. He's got time. He's got time to check out the show now. Plenty of time. Plenty of time now. Well, Brett, uh, we're going to welcome in our VIP subscribers, if that's cool with you. Uh, yeah. A question or two. I see that they're uh, starting to pop into the Zoom meeting. So let's see what we got. Because you got you you got to water, you know, the the fields, and you, you probably got some work outside to do, right? What's what, what's on the agenda today, Brett? Watering trees. Normally you'd be cutting grass this time, but honestly, the grass is brown and you would think it's, we're in winter. Like it looks dormant. So it's not growing. I mean, it's, 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 it's awful. Plus, that's so a that, lot of acres. When, when I walk, when I walk out of here, I go and connect the, it's about, I think it's 500 gallon water tank. It's on a trailer and I, Attach it to the hitch on my truck and I go around and like a, like a 75 year old white oak, I'll just park the, the truck, unhook the trailer and let the water just drain out around the tree. And then when it's done, I connect back, go fill it up and do the same thing somewhere else. Probably takes a few hours. I was going to say it's not if you're an impatient person. Which I'm kind of impatient, but I know it's got to be done. I don't want to sit like if if I just want if it's a smaller tree and I just want the I got a a hose that connects to the the tank 
and I just open a valve and it just drains out slow. So I'm sitting in my truck because it's so hot. I sit in the air conditioned and just ride off into the sunset. Got stuff like this. You got to learn to be patient. So you maybe it's a good music thing. podcast. Like how do you pass the time or just, I usually sit in the truck and flip between seventies on seven, maybe a little, uh, a little football on uh NFL channel. Uh, maybe Fox, uh, so I don't know, just whatever, whatever tickles my fancy at the time. Outlaw country. Have you listened to that channel? I, yeah, I'll scan through like if I, Deanna, like when she and I are in the car and I'm driving, it doesn't matter if I'm driving or riding. Most of the time I'm driving, but I'm constantly clicking. If I go to go to a channel, if it's not a song I like, I go to the next channel. If it's, if I'm in the mood for talk, I'll go to the NFL channel or Patriot, you know, whatever. Uh, so I'm, I just kind of, she's like, put it on one and leave it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't like that song. And she may not like it either, but she, the clicking just drives her crazy. I think she just does it just to, Get under my skin. That's so she funny. thinks I do it to get under her skin, but I, it's not. To, it's not true. Hey, we're the opposite here. I, I, Gina, my wife is. Uh, she, she's flipping channel to channel to channel. I'm like, you know what? Let's just let's just listen to something, enjoy it, start to finish, and then we can move on. I think it's just something in yeah, the tables are turned in your household. All right, we have some VIPs trickling on in again. If you're if you're listening, and you're a, a go long reader subscriber, if you upgrade to VIP status, we will uh, send you a copy of Blood and Guts: How Tight Ends Save Football, a go long sweatshirt, crew or hoodie, and you can do exactly what my main man Jason Brown is going to do right now and ask the legend Brett Favre a question. JB, good to see you, hey, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great, doing great. Um, great, great to meet you, Brett. It's been so many years of watching you, and I, 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 I know you get this all the time. But uh, thank you, I appreciate that. I, I, I tell it for for myself. You know, watching you play was just just amazing because just the passion you brought every single day. You can tell you you, you love life, and I know for for myself that's. That's what drove me to become a Packers fan. And I, I think a lot of people can say, you know, that it, it becomes like something just, just part of that family, you know, you're, you're watching I agree. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that's the best compliment. Yeah. Yeah. That right. I hear. And I, when I hear that, it never gets old. So thank you very much. Right. Right. So I got a question for you. I, we hear a lot about the pranks that you've pulled over the years. You, you've had a number of, number of doozies. And I'll say for myself, I've, I've always enjoyed a, a good prank. I, I would say I'm more of a thinking man's prankster than, than you are probably. Um, but what, what's, what's a prank that you pulled that you're still chuckling at today? Like sometimes I was just a little thing, but just something that you did is like, I, I can't believe I got the guy like that. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, the one that's, uh, stands out the most and it, it only is 
I think because where we were in Green Bay. So late in the year, uh, it was colder than hell. And I took Frank Winter's car. No one locked. We had our own designated parking lot that we could park in. So no one locked their cars. At least I don't think. So we were always playing pranks on each other. Most of them were just little teeny tiny ones. Yeah. So I took Frank's car and I went, I had one of the equipment guys follow me. I, as far in the Lambo parking lot as I could park it. And I left it running with the AC wide open. And it was like 20 degrees or 15 degrees or whatever. <laughs> and first of all, Frank couldn't find his car. <laughs> and I, I could imagine if I walked out and my car was not there, I, I don't know what I would think. But then there's this long car way off in the parking lot that smoke's coming out of the tailpipe. Right. And it's Frank's. And you can imagine how cold it was in inside. Oh, man. He was so pissed. <laughs> uh, you know, I, if he if he thought for a second he could kill me and get away with it and I'd be cut, I think he would have, or at least wounded me. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Did, did anybody really, really get you back? Like Donald Driver, he, he, I remember him, him saying one time that you had, uh, it was either your birthday or Doug Peterson's birthday and some birthday cake. And, and then one of the two of you slapped it on his face right before a practice. He had to get all cleaned up and that to get you back that a day or two later, you tossed some icy hot in your helmet or something like that. Oh yeah. That was, that was a. <laughs> Yeah, that happened. But that, that was, I think every player had icy hot in his helmet at some point. I mean, everybody, <laughs> yeah. everybody. Uh, okay. but yeah, uh, he, he got me back. I tell you, when you start sweating a little bit and that icy hot comes down to your face. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome yeah. here. Yeah. 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 Anybody else will get you, get you with something good? Not, no, not really. Uh, I was always, I was probably on more, I was probably more attentive and on guard to the pranks either <laughs> I was given or that would possibly be given back to me than I was to who we were playing that week. <laughs> that's, that's probably a stretch, but yeah, I was like, right, right, always, right. I was, especially in the latter part of my career, I was like, I got to do something to spice this up. I mean, meetings I, and practice yeah. and workouts, meetings and practice and workouts, meetings and practice and workouts. Got old. So I always was trying to yeah. find, and I was always harmless in, in you know, what right. I did. But it was always yeah. fun. I, I was trying yeah. to find ways to pass the time. Right. You know, it is an important thing, I think, in any business of just saying, yeah, hey, you absolutely. need to up that routine. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious. So, yeah. So, completely different gears. Like, when, when I look at the, the difference between, you know, how you and, and Aaron played the game, you know, I think a lot can be made of, of just how great of arms both of you guys had. And, but you guys really looked at turnovers very differently. And some of it's just, you know, where the game's gone. You know, the game has become much more, you know, turnovers are the big thing. And, uh, but, like, so, you know, that the difference in mindset that the two of you guys had, how, how hard is it in the middle of a game to say, okay, I went into this thinking, like, I really need to be a gunslinger because that's the only way that we're going to win this game. 
But then later you're like, man, this is, we're actually ahead now and this is getting to be a close game. How hard is it to just say, no, I need to be real conservative for the rest of that? Yeah, I think every quarterback that's, that's been through the league, uh, especially those that have had a long, good or great career, uh, are different in their mindset. Uh, most of the guys that have come through the league, uh, have a generally have a good idea of what they're capable of, their, their limitations. Um, uh, and then you play within that. I think, and, uh, Tyler and I were talking about this earlier. I think, uh, uh, the, what makes you best sometimes is the blessing and the curse. And so mm-hmm. knowing when to say when and, and following through with that is, is to me is tougher with Josh Allen than it would be with Patrick Mahomes. Because uh, mm-hmm. Josh Allen is so good running the ball and has a big arm that, that to throw a check down is virtually not in his vocabulary. Right. Uh, but there's times when that's, when that's needed. And, and we, I've used an example. Ty Debmer was my backup for several years and he, he would never attempt to make the throws that I would attempt. Now I can make those throws, but you're going to get more trouble by trying to do the, make those throws. Now you're going to wow people. Uh, but the situation in a game too is very vital in, in your decision making. And, and it took me, I don't know, five to 10 years to where that I never thought about situations in, early in my career. I mean, just along for the ride, man, this is fun. And then Holmgren was like, look, if we're up by 14 with five minutes left, why are you taking a shot? Unless the shot is, you know, we either get it or it's going to fall incomplete. But I was like, well, I, I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I wouldn't say it to him. I'm thinking, well, heck, you called it. I'm going to take a shot. Exactly. You know, but the latter part of my career, I would, I was more apt to say, possibly I could complete this pass, but I'm going to live for a better day. And, uh, some, some quarterbacks that come, come into the league, like a Tua, has been conditioned and trained at Alabama to do it a certain way. And he's not going to think outside the box. Uh, and, and it's served him well. And he's, he's already off to a wonderful start, but he's not going, I mean, he's perfect for, and there's other guys too that are not going to give you the wow factor. But they're going to give you every. They're going to manage a game. If they, if you need that player at the end of the game to go ninety and make unbelievable throws, it's probably not your guy. Right. But if you need a guy that manages a game and complete the, the passes that are called, then that's your guy. So, from it's harder for the the gunslinger, the riverboat gambler, that has the 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 tools to make any throw and can get away from any any tackle and extend plays, it's hard for that guy to rein in what he does, especially early in his career. 
Yeah. Don't necessarily want to rein it in, right? I mean, look at, we talked about Mahomes. Gosh, I mean, you, he is as close to, to you and vice versa, right? You probably see a lot of yourself in Mahomes and maybe that has opened some eyes and opened some doors to teams taking chances on these quarterbacks who are going to think outside the box and freelance and, and take a chance here and there because I mean, like you talked about earlier, Brett, when, when you are willing to bust your ass and put in the work and put in the time, you can harness that for good, right? Like that it is, it's kind of, yeah. you don't want to just shut that down. Yeah. And I think the same thing we talked about earlier, Tyler, uh, in regards to this is it's a coach's job, whether it be the offense coordinator or the head coach, maybe the head coach is a defensive guy and he relies heavily on his offense coordinator to call plays that will not put him in harm's way. Uh, mm-hmm. In other words, sort of, you know, uh, taking away, not necessarily taking away, but, you know, if, if there's a 70% chance that you're going to make a bad decision on this play call versus this play call, you're going to go with, especially early on, you should go with the, you know, the lower percentage that he'll make a bad decision because when Mike would call a shot play early in my career, I was taking that shot. There was no ifs, ands, buts about it because I, you know, I, I could, I, I, I could guarantee I would complete it, but I, I could guarantee I was going to take a shot. And so he backed off of those plays until later in my career uh, or my career with him and knowing that, three years in the system or four years in the system or five years, he's more comfortable with it. That doesn't necessarily mean he'll make a better decision, but I think he kind of knows when and when not to based on the situation in the game. And he, it seems like he was good at still giving you that freedom to improvise. I mean, so many plays come to mind, even like the wild card against San Francisco, right? We forget about you and Antonio Freeman kind of doing that, that signal. Yeah, right, you kind of yeah. you kind of made that up on the fly, where he's going to sell the slam and take it to the corner. Yeah, you know, you don't want to take that away from a player. Yeah. You know, for example, a good running back, Barry Sanders. I mean, how many times did he reverse field and go all the way back behind the line of scrimmage, seemingly with nowhere to go, and would end up with twenty or thirty yards? But then there's the times I remember we played Detroit in, in Green Bay and he had negative yards rushing. Yeah. <laughs> was it all his fault? No, no. But I, sometimes he ran backwards to go forwards and he got, he got tackled for a loss and you go, man, that, that killed us. But then the next play, he, he does it and he gets 35 or 40 or 50 and you go, damn, that was unbelievable. You don't want to really take that away. Uh, again, I think it comes down to the offense coordinator calling plays that, uh, from a quarterback's perspective, that will suit his, his, you know, his mentality and based on the situation in the game. If it's first play of the game and you call a shot, the latter part of my career, I would go up there and I would, I would be more calculating. I would say, the guy's 12 yards off. I mean, there's a shot we could, you know, he could catch it. We could, the receiver could run him down or if it's a Sydney Rice, like I had my first year in Minnesota, who was not a speedster, but I knew would, would 
made my decision right regardless if I threw it to him. So in other words, it would be caught by him. It would either fall incomplete or pass interference. It would never be picked. So I would know that I could take a shot. Uh, but early in my career, it didn't matter who was out there. I was throwing it. And as a coach, a play caller, you go, if I call this, we may get a big play, but there's a, equally a, a good chance that it turns out to be a bad play. And do I want that this early in the game? No, I don't. Let me see how he's playing as we, you know, progress through the game. So I think it's, it's extremely vital that the, the coach who's calling plays and coaching that quarterback is, is aware that, you know, I got to be careful with the plays I call, you know, but he still can improvise, but I'd rather him improvise on this play than this play. So that's the way I look at it. That's so perfectly put. And, and I, early in your year, you had Sterling Sharp. You're going to take some chances in a weird. And he, like, he, he made me right. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I threw it to him in triple coverage, and he right. He was an amazing player. He wasn't going out running anyone, but he was an amazing player. He was un, uh, uncoverable, and, and that, in saying that, he was covered a lot of the times. But he he would always make me right. So in the back of my head, the next time, Molino on Sterling, Molino on Sterling, but that was okay. Holmgren didn't have a problem with that. Now. Maybe he was the third read and I would go to him and without like, I, I would read the first and second, but I would, it was more of a quick scan and we would watch film together. And Mike would say the first guy was open. You know, to, I, I understand Sterling is, is your go to guy, but let's read it out. Read it out. There's going to be a time when Sterling's not in there. Don't get in bad habits. And so you're, you became more disciplined. Right, it, it, it was terrible how his career ended, but you make you earned your first MVP in '95 after he's forced to retire. Maybe you're you're probably yeah. more a disciplined quarterback doing all that. Yeah, I was more. I, I felt more comfortable with offense. I, the the reads made more sense to me, and why we did things. And and it, a better example would be so like. We would go, this is pretty typical in the National Football League. I assume it's still this way, but coverages and, and defenses are different. So maybe not as much, but like we would always, when we call a play, we would have a single safety side or a, a two look side. So if you got a two look, you would go to the left. If you got a single safety side, whether it be man or zone, you would go to the right. And which, which seems like, well, no duh, but it did give you options. Now with Sterling, it didn't matter because I knew he was probably going to be covered. But if I threw, give him just a catchable ball, he would make me right. So when, when he was, when he was hurt and, and we knew he was done, I had to use everyone. And that's when Antonio and uh, Robert Brooks really emerged as the go-to guys. And and they were good. And they were good for our offense and they, they understood they were smart. They were not they were not Sterling Sharp. 
But I, yeah, I was more disciplined and it, it was really conditioned for that transformation. We should probably let you uh, get to that irrigation system, Brett. This has been yeah. incredible. Yeah, because yeah, it ain't so raining. Right, right. Ain't gonna rain. Jason, nice meeting you. Nice to meet you too, Brad. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. This is a, a great opportunity for us. Yeah. Yeah. Good Good question. Good talking with you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you too. Thank you, everybody out there for listening, for watching. This was Favre with the incomparable Brett Favre. Brett, thank you so much. We'll be uh, doing this again soon.